Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Friday, June 5th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Pro Tem Hilda Solis, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. And if you haven't heard it yet, I highly recommend you listen to Episode 10, released on June 3rd, my one-on-one interview with Dr. Ferrer. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and as a reminder, be sure to subscribe to our show and leave us a review in your podcast app. We hope you'll follow our department across all social media, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at LA Public Health. And now, Supervisor Solis. Buenas tardes. Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to thank you for joining us today at our daily press briefing. I'm Hilda L. Solis, Chair Pro Tem of Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors. And I'd like to first reflect upon the nationwide protests and civil unrest that we have seen take place this past week. I have thought about George Floyd and his family, about Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and their families, and about the black lives that have been taken over the years due to unabated and unaccountable police violence. Black communities are once again grieving, and our country is collectively grieving. The protest that have swept this United States are in direct response to the injustices black communities face every single day. I want to be clear that I stand with the peaceful protesters who are fighting the black lives and justice for communities of color everywhere. Now more than ever, we need a change. We need accountability and we need justice. This is of course a public health briefing on COVID-19. But now we've seen another public health crisis highlighted. According to the National Public Health Association, addressing law enforcement violence should be a public health priority. And as Dr. Barbara Ferrer has said, the root cause of health inequities, especially during the pandemic, is systemic racism and discrimination. And I want to ensure that during these increasingly difficult times, everyone stay connected with family and loved ones. Our lives have changed abruptly which is why it's so important to take care of our mental health. It's okay to ask for help. And if you or a loved one needs support, please contact our LA County Department of Mental Health helpline by calling 1-800-854-7771 or texting LA to 741-741. We do have to recognize that the civil unrest has impacted many small business owners many of whom were already struggling to stay afloat in light of the economic impacts of COVID-19. Many of these business owners come from our communities and their businesses fuel our economy and provide much needed jobs that support countless families throughout our community. One in three Angelinos are immigrants and one third of LA County's $700 billion economy is attributed to them. Two thirds of what we call Main Street Businesses in L.A. County are immigrant-owned and run. The county will do what we can to identify resources and aid to our impacted businesses to help them recover. And if you own a business and would like to learn more about these resources, please visit lacountyhelpcenter.org or call 800-593-8222. We just learned that the national unemployment rate has dropped to 13.3% in May from 14.7% in April. But I wanna emphasize that this is still much higher than the peak of 10% unemployment during the Great Recession over a decade ago. 
In fact, Los Angeles County has had a peak unemployment rate of 19.6% in April of this year. And moreover, a total of 1.6 million LA County residents have filed for unemployment insurance claims in the three months that we have been dealing with this crisis. We know this is hard hitting for our communities and the hardest particularly hit are those people of color. Whereas the national unemployment rate for white people went down from 14.2 to 12.4%, the unemployment rate for blacks ticked up from 16.7 to 16.8%. And for Asian Americans, it rose from 14.5 to 15%. And for Latinos, unemployment dropped slightly, but still remains at 17.6%. So as we continue to reopen our economy, we hope to provide some relief to those who can get back to work right away. I want to remind everyone that we are also needing to continue to work to stop the spread of COVID-19. As some businesses and our public spaces reopen, we must follow the health guidelines. This is for the safety of all our county residents. I want to thank everyone for your cooperation. And now I would like to introduce Dr. Barbara Ferrer, our public health director. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much, Supervisor Solis, and to the entire Board of Supervisors. These are indeed challenging times, and we're grateful for your leadership, and especially for your deep commitment to economic and racial justice. I want to start by updating everyone on our current status. I'm sad to report 36 additional people have died from COVID-19. 25 of the people who died are over the age of 65, and 22 people who are over the age of 65 and passed away had underlying health conditions. Nine people who died are between the ages of 41 and 65, and six people in this age group had underlying health conditions. And there's one younger person who died between the ages of 18 and 40, and they also had underlying health conditions. Information on the one death reported by the city of Long Beach is available at longbeach.gov. 12 of the 36 people who passed away were residents at our skilled nursing facilities. This brings the total number of deaths to 2,565 across LA County. And the loss of our neighbors, friends, and loved ones across many neighborhoods is felt by all of us, but particularly by those who are mourning. And we share your grief. You're in our thoughts and our prayers every day. 94% of people who have died from COVID-19 had underlying health conditions. And this number has stayed consistently very high. Uh, so it continues to be important for people with underlying health conditions to stay home as much as possible, even during our recovery. Please continue to avoid close contact with others, and if you have even mild symptoms, call your provider immediately. If you need a provider, please call 211 so that you can get information on a provider that's in your neighborhood. Today, we're also reporting 1,445 new cases, and this will bring the total number of people who have tested positive for COVID-19 in LA County to 61,045. The 61,045 total cases we're reporting include 2,160 total cases reported by the City of Long Beach and 968 total cases reported by the City of Pasadena. Both cities have independent departments, health departments. I do want to remind everyone 
that it's important that we've, uh, we continue to expand our access to testing for those who need to be tested. And as long as we are testing a lot of people who need testing in LA County, we should expect to see our case numbers to go up. And as I've said before, that's not a bad thing. When somebody's identified as being positive for COVID-19, it's an opportunity for them to know that they, need an that they need to isolate themselves and for us to know at the Department of Public Health that we need to contact them and all of their close contacts so that they stay out of circulation uh, and cannot expose others uh, in the general public. If people don't have access to testing, uh, it's very hard to uh, actually be able to contain the epidemic. So I, I just want to reiterate that I'm so grateful uh, to Dr. Galley and her team for making sure that we've improved access to testing across the board. Uh, we're also reporting today 447 uh, confirmed cases among people experiencing homelessness. 201 uh, people who were experiencing homelessness were sheltered and they have been appropriately isolated and their close contacts are quarantined. I am sad to report that two additional people experiencing homelessness have passed away from COVID-19. Both of the people who died were unsheltered. And this brings the total number of deaths among people experiencing homelessness to 13. And to the family and friends of the people who experienced homelessness and passed away, we're deeply sorry for your loss. There are 6,833 people who have tested positive for COVID-19 that have been at some point during their illness hospitalized. And this has now dropped to 11% of all of our positive cases. Uh, currently, there's 1,488 people uh, who have a confirmed case of COVID-19 and are hospitalized. 29% of the people are in the ICU and 20% of the people are on ventilators. This has been a slight increase uh, over the last three days in the number of people that are hospitalized, and we'll need to continue to pay a lot of attention to this to make sure that we're not uh, starting to see a significant increase in the number of people requiring hospitalizations. Uh, we have investigated a total of 564 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed or suspect, cases, suspect case of COVID-19. Of these, 484 are being currently investigated, and there are 80 uh, institutions where we've closed the investigations. These settings do include nursing homes, assisted living facilities, shelters, treatment centers, supportive living, correctional facilities, workplaces, food and retail, and educational settings. And while the numbers are still small uh, in terms of workplace outbreaks, uh, we have seen almost a doubling of our investigations at workplaces over the last three weeks, again, as more and more people have been going back to work. The total confirmed uh, number of cases in institutional settings is now 14,519, and this includes 9,449 residents uh, and, uh, and 5,070 uh, staff members. I'm also sad to report that 1,379 people who were living in institutional settings have died from COVID-19. And 89% of the people who lived in institutional settings and passed away resided in our skilled nursing facilities. Our deepest condolences go out to the families and the friends 
of the people who were residing in our nursing facilities uh, and passed away. And I will be updating you in a moment on the work we're doing to try as hard as possible to ensure the safety of both our residents and our employees at our nursing homes. We're also reporting 954 confirmed cases at some point in time in the jail facilities. 712 cases were among people who are incarcerated and 242 were among staff. There are 178 cases uh, in the state prison, 128 among people who are incarcerated, and 50 among staff. And there are 753 cases in the federal prison facilities, 738 among people who are incarcerated, and 15 among staff. We now are reporting 26 cases in the juvenile facilities. Uh, this includes 11 among youth and 15 among staff. That's an increase of one from the last time I reported. Uh, you can find information on confirmed and suspect cases uh, by facility, as well as a dashboard on testing, uh, case and death data, and our recovery dashboard when you go to our website, publichealth.lacounty.gov. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is reporting 307 positive cases among their staff, 398 staff who are quarantined, and 1,616 staff that have been able to return to work. The LA County Fire Department is reporting that 515 staff members were tested for COVID-19, 31 staff tested positive, 11 are isolated at home, 30 have returned to work, and three are still homesick. I want to thank Sheriff Villanueva and Chief Osby for sharing this information with us uh, every day. Sorry. Uh, over 671,000 COVID-19 test results for individuals have been reported to LA County Department of Public Health. And the cumulative uh, total of uh, percent of people who tested positive is 8%. But over the last seven days, our positivity rate has dropped to 4.4%. Again, indicating that while we have a lot of people getting tested, uh, only about 4.5% of them at this point in time uh, were tested positive. I do want to note that there are appointments available at the regional testing sites, and you can find the testing sites and make an appointment when you go online at covid19.lacounty.gov slash testing. I do have a few updates today. Uh, first, I want to provide you with an update on our efforts at the county's skilled nursing facilities. As of yesterday, 244 skilled nursing facilities have tested all of their residents and their staff, and an additional 71 skilled nursing facilities have been scheduled or in the process of conducting their testing. This includes facilities that have had outbreaks and facilities that have, had, have not yet had any outbreaks. And I want to note that the testing is a collaboration between public health, the Department of Health Services, LA City, and the nursing facilities. And we're very grateful to all of our partners in this work. Of the over 18,000 people that have been tested where we already have their results, 9% tested positive for COVID-19. Only 14% of the people who tested positive were symptomatic. This is true for both residents and staff. So 86% of the people in these settings that tested positive were either asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic. 
And as a reminder, a part of this is because we test all the time uh, in these facilities, particularly people who are symptomatic, and when they test positive, they are dropped out of these results um, because we already had their results. Uh, these rates are very similar to the rates that we reported uh, about two weeks ago. The low number of symptomatic people does suggest that uh, while some may be pre-symptomatic, there's a high degree of probability that there are, in certain settings, significant numbers of people that are positive for COVID-19 without any symptoms. And this is why distancing and infection control practices are so important and why we continue to work hard with all of our partners to ensure that these facilities are as safe as possible for residents and staff. I also today have an update on race, ethnicity, and income level data that we're collecting and looking at closely to understand how COVID-19 is disproportionately affecting some groups. For the 2,373 people who have passed away where race and ethnicity data has been identified, 41% are Latino or Latinx, 28% are white, 18% are Asian, 12% are African American, less than 1% are Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. When we analyze these numbers as rates per 100,000 people, we're able to make comparisons with other groups across the population, and this reveals more about which groups are disproportionately affected. The death rate for African Americans is 31 deaths per 100,000 people. And for Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders, the death rate is 30 deaths per 100,000 people. For people who identified as Latino Latinx, the death rate is now 29 deaths per 100,000 people. For people who are Asian, the death rate has also increased to 21 deaths per 100,000 people. And for our white residents, the death rate is 15 per 100,000 people. And when you look at this data by community poverty levels, we see that people who live in areas with high rates of poverty have almost four times the rate of deaths for COVID-19, 51 deaths per 100,000 people, compared to communities with very low poverty levels where the death rate is 13 per 100,000 people. We also now are analyzing our data to predict how many deaths we should expect to see from COVID-19 if every group has the same death rate as those, as those who have the lowest rate of death. We call that the reference group. We can then calculate how many additional deaths have occurred beyond what we would expect, and we call this excess deaths. When we look at excess death information by race, ethnicity, and income, it paints a very disturbing picture. If the death rate for all groups were the same as it is for white residents, who have the lowest death rate, we would have 754 fewer deaths. This means that there were 485 excess deaths among people identifying as Latino Latinx, 143 excess deaths among our African American community, 125 excess deaths amongst people who identified as Asian. And when we look at communities by income levels and we assume the death rate for all groups could be the same as it was for people living in communities with little poverty, there have been 981 excess deaths among people who live in communities with higher levels of poverty. These numbers are absolutely devastating and represent 
real people whose lives have been lost. They also starkly show how inequities have a life and death consequence. We continue to work with our community partners and the Department of Health Services on closing these gaps and providing more resources in under-resourced communities. Uh, one such effort to increase resources has been around testing. Uh, as of today, there are 73 COVID-19 testing sites that have been stood up. Uh, this includes sites at CVS pharmacies, hospitals, local community clinics, and other community sites, and many have been located on highly impacted communities. We urge people who need to get tested to please make an appointment. Visit covid19.lacounty.gov slash testing so that you can find a location near you and make an appointment. Our sister departments and partners have also continued to offer services that are related to our safety net, food, housing, and other supports, including mental health supports. And I encourage you to visit, visit the covid19.lacounty.gov website for more information. The very real impact of the injustices plays out every day with the news I share with you and amplifies why racism is a public health issue. And the dis disproportionately higher number of deaths from COVID-19 among black and brown people is an indication of the impact of racism and discrimination on health and well-being. And as I have mentioned, this results in a higher rates of death and disability uh, on, for almost every cause uh, for, again, uh, communities of color. It starts at the beginning of life uh, when black babies are three to four times more likely to die uh, before they reach their first birthday. Uh, and at the very end of life, when black residents die on average six to 10 years younger uh, than all others. We must look at the structures, systems, and practices in our society to understand the root cause of these inequities, which really uh, have much to do with a long history of institutional racism. And that's resulted in and continues to result in fewer resources and opportunities that are needed uh, for optimal health and well-being. I want to thank everyone who's been on the front lines uh, for this last week, uh, standing to end racism and oppression. I do also want to talk for a minute about the risk of exposure to COVID-19 while you're in any large gathering, whether that's on the boardwalk in Venice or uh, joining a protest against racism uh, somewhere in our county. Uh, if you think you may have been exposed to COVID-19 while you're out and you're in large crowds because you were in close contact for at least 15 minutes with people who were not wearing face coverings, please remember that this virus has a long incubation period and it will be important for you to remain away from others as much as possible for the next 14 days. And it's also important to recognize that if you do get tested right away after you think you've had an exposure, exposure, you're likely to test negative because your viral load will be too low to be detected yet on a test. And testing negative for COVID-19 after you've been exposed does not mean that you can't become infected later during the incubation period. So we ask, even if you tested and were negative, you still need to remain away from others for 14 days after you've had your exposure. 
If you're living with people who are at greater risk of becoming seriously ill from the virus, it's particularly important that you maintain six feet of distance and you wear a face covering even while you're with them at your home. Avoid preparing any food for others, avoid sharing utensils, bedding and towels, and increase cleaning and disinfecting of any common services. If you do develop symptoms within 14 days of exposure, please contact your healthcare provider to connect to care and testing. While testing capacity has increased across our county, and we're very grateful to Dr. Galley and the Department of Health Services for their hard work in making this possible, there still remain priorities in who needs to get tested. Our highest priority groups for testing continue to be patients who are hospitalized, healthcare workers, and first responders with symptoms, as well as residents and employees, both symptomatic and asymptomatic in long-term care facilities or other congregate living facilities where there are outbreaks. These groups are prioritized in order to ensure optimal care uh, and lower the risk of spread of an infection in either a hospital or an institutional setting. We also strongly encourage testing for anyone who has symptoms and is older and has underlying health conditions or has underlying health conditions. As we mentioned uh, every day, uh, these groups are at greater risk for very serious illness and death from COVID-19. We encourage testing as resources permit for any person who's experiencing symptoms, as well as for people who have been close contacts of people who are positive or are suspected of being positive for COVID-19. I wanna uh, note that as we go into uh, the weekend, we do continue to ask of everyone, uh, since you are out and about more, uh, that you please uh, take this as an opportunity to respect others and take care of others by wearing your cloth face covering whenever you're in close contact with anyone and keeping your distance as much as possible. We do need to continue to take these actions uh, so that we can prevent other people from becoming infected with COVID-19. These actions are the kind thing to do and they save lives. Uh, thank you. And now uh, we will go to Spanish. Oh, sorry. Now we'll go to Dr. Galley uh, from the, the Director of Health Services. Hi, good afternoon. I'm Dr. Christina Galley, the Director of the Department of Health Services. I'll touch on three topics today. Disparities in how COVID-19 is affecting certain communities, especially communities of color. Testing for COVID-19, in particularly in response to some of the protests and new testing guidance that the Department of Public Health has put out that Dr. Ferrer just went through. And an update on the hospital modeling projections indicating how COVID-19 is spreading through our communities and the impact that it might have in the future on the hospital system. First, on the disparities. Unfortunately, as with many injustices that we're fighting right now, COVID-19 is showing that it's tragically impacting certain communities disproportionately. Dr. Ferrer just went through the data and it's striking. Communities of color are having higher case rates and higher death rates from COVID-19. And this is due to the longstanding structural and systemic racism that is apparent in multiple aspects of our society. The county, across the county, multiple departments, including DHS, are doing everything we can to respond. 
At DHS, we're committed to ensuring that equity and access to health care is there for everybody, regardless of the color of their skin, where they were born, their immigration status, their income level, their coverage or insurance status. DHS is already the medical home for 450,000 individuals, virtually all of whom are covered by either Medi-Cal or are uninsured and not eligible for any coverage. More than 80% of our patients self-identify as being an individual and person of color. High-risk populations that are heavily impacted by COVID-19 must have access to testing and medical care within their communities in a geographically accessible way with a provider that they trust. DHS has taken this geographic-focused approach in setting up and supporting testing sites in a way that ensures equitable and sustainable access across the county's communities. As we work to integrate testing into the healthcare system, we're working with providers in these communities that individuals know and trust, whether those are DHS clinics, federally qualified health centers, or FQHC lookalikes, or other clinics and providers. People in at-risk communities can come to any testing site in the county, or they can go to any one of a number of DHS clinics or FQHCs that serve and provide testing services or that are starting to provide testing services. We are also working with a variety of clinics to help support their ability to be able to ramp up testing of their own patients. We're providing technical assistance in a variety of ways, connecting clinics to laboratories if they don't have existing contracts that have sufficient capacity to be able to meet the demand for tests, providing communications and outreach support, leveraging state supplies of personal protective equipment and swabs, test kits and reagent and viral transport medium obtaining assistance with payer claiming and reimbursement processes so that the health plans who are the rightful payer of the services can be billed appropriately, and are working in partnership with the Department of Public Health on an approach to contact tracing that leverages these community-based organizations and community clinics and can be responsive to the local needs of the communities. Even with access, we know that we need to do everything we can to support and continuously engage high-risk communities. This is key to being able to provide trusted and ongoing continuity of care in a clinical environment. We are exploring opportunities for sustainable community-driven outreach in highly impacted communities in collaboration with clinics and other key community stakeholders. As one example is the county testing site at the Charles Drew University campus in South Los Angeles. This operates as a partnership between a DHS clinic, the Martin Luther King Jr. Outpatient Center, and Charles Drew University. Test site workers from the MLK Outpatient Clinic provide the actual testing services on site in partnership with others and connect those to medical care either at MLK or at other clinics wherever the patients receive their care. Staff from Charles Drew are actively engaging in outreach across the community, including canvassing local groceries and community-based organizations. The efforts by these CDU outreach staff have significantly increased the daily testing volume that this site has seen, from initially 100 to 200 per day to up at over 700 tests per day. This is a model that we're very proud of and that we can follow as a successful community-based approach to testing and outreach. 
To further support this type of work, DHS is submitting a proposal for $4 million in funding from the CDC's Epidemiology and Laboratory Capacity Grant to help dis address disparities. This will include funding to support communications campaigns in highly impacted communities, incorporating culturally and linguistically appropriate public education materials, working on community outreach and engagement and linkage to care initiatives to address disparities in access to COVID testing and medical care. This includes focus on a variety of at-risk populations, including Black, Latinx, Asian and Pacific Islander, Indigenous, monolingual, and justice-involved populations. We're also working and seeking funds to support organizational capacity building within multiple community providers that are, again, well integrated into these local communities and are trusted organizations, working to enhance their capacity to improve outcomes among communities' most vulnerable residents. In tracking race and ethnicity to this point, we're very pleased that communities of color are accessing testing services across the county's drive-through testing services in a manner that's proportionate to the overall population. But given how the death and case rate is disproportionately falling on these at-risk communities, we need to do more. Everyone, especially those who are at risk of serious outcomes from COVID, should know the symptoms, should have access to a convenient test site where they can receive a test if they need one, ideally one that's connected with their provider who can continue to follow them and check in on them and make sure that they're getting access to care within a hospital setting if they need it. I also want to comment briefly on testing access this week in light of the protests. It is inspiring on many levels to, the, to see the desire of many Angelinos who are engaged in peaceful protests in response to the unjust killing of George Floyd at the hands of police and in protest of the many factors that have made these events tragically common. As the protests took place, the county did not issue a mandate for any test sites to close. Rather, we allowed each testing site to make its own decision as to whether or not they felt like they needed to close or adjust their hours and close early based on what was happening in the local community, based on protest schedules or the needs and desires of their staff. As a result, we did see the volume of testing across this week uh, declined slightly, and that's due to several factors, both the fact that at the same time a few test sites were closed, these were independently operated sites that chose to close that was unrelated to the protests, sites also that did elect to close in response to the protests or the curfews naturally led to some cancellations, and we did outreach to about 2,000 individuals to work to cancel and let them know how they can reschedule their appointment. We also saw higher than usual no-show rates at test sites across the county, even when appointments were not canceled. And we felt like this was understandable given everything else that was occurring across Los Angeles this week. Access to testing is still a top priority for the county. DHS is continuing to work with our staff, our partners, and the broader healthcare system to ensure we're able to provide testing for all those who need it. Our success is shown in the state's numbers, where Los Angeles has one of the highest testing rates of all counties across the state. Slots remain at all of the sites across the county, and individuals can access throws through the COVID-19 county testing website. At all of the county-operated and partner-run sites, we're continuing, we're committed to providing the highest quality testing product possible. 
We are aligning with labs who can deliver improved turnaround times. We're also shifting from an oral collection swab mechanism to a nasal swab. This is a swab of the front of the nose. This is very different than sometimes what people hear about of a nasal pharyngeal or an NP swab, which is the back of the nose. This is still self-collection. It does not require collection by a healthcare worker, but as per the current practice, healthcare workers will be on hand to advise and help assist as needed. While oral approach was effective, studies, multiple studies, have shown that a switch to the nasal shot swab is better and leads to a better specimen collection, better sensitivity, and will lead to fewer false negative test results. This is key in our long-term testing strategy as we work to limit the spread among various communities. Also, as Dr. Ferrer just mentioned, the Department of Public Health has put up new testing guidance on their website. This guidance highlights the ongoing need for all symptomatic individuals to be tested so that they can be appropriately isolated and also their contacts can be traced. The guidance also highlights the need for close contacts of known cases as part of public health's contact tracing efforts to be tested. Alongside continued testing is those who need who live and work in high-risk congregate care settings, such as skilled nursing facilities, or who are working among persons experiencing homelessness. And these testing outreach efforts are continuing. The guidance also clarifies that beyond these close contacts and high-risk settings, asymptomatic individuals do not generally need to be tested. The guidance reiterates that testing also should not be used in quarantine or isolation early. This guidance will be implemented in the coming weeks at our testing sites as we work on the specific plans in partnership with DPH. I'll shift now to providing a brief update on the DHS modeling effort. My thanks to Dr. Roger Lewis and his team for all of the work in continuing to produce this data on a weekly basis. The overall volume of hospital-based care for patients with COVID-19 appears generally stable or slightly uptrending. Over the past few weeks, we've spoken of the R, or the effective transmission rate. After the introduction of the Safer at Home Health Officer orders, the R fell rapidly from initially around 3 to 3.5 to around 1, meaning that for every case of COVID-19, it was passed on to one, approximately one additional person. While we don't know precisely yet how reopening and the recovery activities will affect transmission of COVID-19, R does appear now to be greater than one and slightly uptrending. If transmission has indeed increased, then the model predicts that we will have a continued increase in hospital patient volume over the next two to four weeks. And we would anticipate beginning to see that change happen over the coming one to two weeks. Even with this trend at greater than one, the number of hospital beds and ventilators in Los Angeles County appears to be adequate to meet the projected need for the care of COVID-19 patients over the next four weeks. The number of ICU beds may become inadequate in two to four weeks based on the currently available number of beds that are provided in daily hospital polls among the public and private hospitals. DHS and its EMS agency is watching this availability of ICU beds very closely. The data are also continuously updated on a daily basis and posted on the DHS website in our daily bed capacity dashboard. We must all do everything we can to keep the R from continuing to increase. 
This includes the basics, washing hands, cloth face coverings when you go outside or around others that aren't in your family, continuing with physical distancing and separating yourselves from others by at least six feet wherever possible, and following diligently all of the quarantine and isolation orders, regardless of whether or not you were tested and regardless of whether or not you tested negative. There are ways to maintain these practices even as we re-enter society and get people back to work, something that is critical for all of us to do. Please continue to do everything you can to follow these core public health practices. Your actions, my actions, have an impact not just on our own health, but the health of all of those around us and all of those that we interact with. We are all in this together. We can all get through this, but only by each of us doing our part. Thank you for all of the continued work of the first responders and the healthcare workers, for being on the front lines and serving those with COVID, and for everything everyone is doing to help reduce transmission and keep us all safe. With that, I'll turn it over to Ryan for questions. Thank you. Our first question is gonna come from the line of Dave Lopez with Channel 2 News. Please go ahead. Hi, Dave. Yes, good afternoon. Uh, following up, uh, Dr. Galley, on, on the, the increase in the R, uh, that is before any of the, uh, the demonstrations uh, took place. Uh, was this something that, uh, that the county was ready for? And are you just holding your breath to see uh, how much more it, it happens in the next couple of weeks? Hi, thanks for the question. Yes, uh, this slight uptrending in R and the fact that it's slightly over one as showing in the model is uh, reflective of data largely before the protests. Uh, it does take into account the activity over the preceding weeks. We are watching it very closely. We do anticipate that that R might start to increase slightly, but I would say there's still things that people can do to prevent that. And that's the importance of following all those basic public health practices. If you are participating in a protest or you are leaving home, these are good things to do and they can be done safely. So it's about encouraging people to keep space, keep their separation as much as possible, wearing a cloth face covering while engaging in those public activities. Next question. Comes to the line of Claudia Pesciuta with the KNX News Radio. Please go ahead. I have a couple of clarification questions to start. Uh, with the excess deaths, I, I was a little confused by that. Is that the number of above normal deaths you project COVID is causing within the, the given groups? And then on the death rates, um, please tell me if I'm right about this. It looks like the, the rates have gone up for black and Asian residents, slightly for whites, if I'm remembering correctly. It, and if you can lay out how those death rates have changed over time. And then uh, I do have a question about further reopening. You know, people are asking about things like summer camp. Are, is that all on hold until we see how uh, the current reopening efforts and the protests and all that play out in the numbers? Thank you. Yeah, thank, thanks a lot, Claudia. Um, uh, so let me just talk a little bit about excess deaths. It's, it's a, a way of sort of making real uh, what you're seeing when you look at the rates. What excess deaths does is it assumes that if there's one uh, group in your community uh, that enjoys uh, a relatively better outcome, um, that that ought to be the experience of everyone in the community. So if the uh, death rate, for example, for COVID-19 among white residents is at, um, I think it was 13 deaths 
uh, per 100,000 than uh, per 100,000 people, then that could be uh, and ought to be, you know, in the, in the best of circumstances, that ought to be what we all ought to experience um, because we know it's possible uh, for that to be uh, a death rate. So excess deaths really just then assumes that if that were happening, how many people died uh, in other groups because they didn't have the advantage of uh, being in that reference group, whichever group does the best. And it makes an assumption, which I think is an important assumption, which is if we know what we can do, so for example, on infant mortality, if we know what we need to do to bring down the infant mortality rates uh, for one group in our, uh, in our community, we ought to be able to figure out how to bring down the infant mortality group for every, for infant mortality rate for everybody in our community. We shouldn't see these big differences uh, because we know that what they're reflecting is that, uh, an, a result of not having access to resources and opportunities uh, that really contribute to optimal health and well-being. Uh, in terms of the rates, yeah, we've seen a slight uptick in the rates. Um, and, you know, again, um, you know, some of that is really due to, as you noticed, sometimes uh, we're dropping people from our mortality count because we find out that they belong to a different county. Um, but it takes us a little while. Uh, we haven't seen any, any really big shifts uh, uh, in, uh, in, our, in our white rate, but we have seen some uh, slight increases, particularly uh, for the rate for Latinos, Latinx. Um, but I can uh, present uh, more fully on sort of what this looks like over time uh, next week for you. And in terms of uh, upcoming reopenings for different sectors, uh, we're working closely with the state, and we anticipate that very soon the state will be issuing guidance that can be used by variance counties to move forward with some other reopenings. I think there'll be time for us to work closely both with the board and with the sectors to make sure that we have really good plans in place as some additional sectors are given permission to reopen. And I know that everybody would like us to uh, be able to get information out about summer camps. So I'm, I'm hoping that, and I am very hopeful that that will come soon. Uh, we'll take the next question. And that comes from the line of Josh Haskell with ABC7. Please go ahead. Yeah, question for Dr. Ferrer or Dr. Ghali. Um, if you're protesting but not moving, standing in places for hours, elbow to elbow, will wearing a mask do the job? And what is your message to protesters who find themselves in a static position, not six feet apart? It's a great question. Uh, I want to thank everybody who is wearing a face covering. That offers a lot of protection, uh, even when you're in closer contact with people. But obviously, the best protection is both a cloth face covering and the social distancing. We do recognize that sometimes you start with the best of intentions to be able to be distanced for other people and then end up in a crowded situation. Uh, what's most important in those crowded situations is that, that you be around other people who are also masked. I think uh, if there are other people that you're in that close crowded situation with who are not wearing a cloth face covering or a mask, uh, you do have a, an increased risk of an exposure. Uh, so the best thing you could do is, is actually make sure that everybody around you 
uh, is able to be fully covered, their nose and their mouth. And I, I want to remind people, you do have to cover your nose also. Uh, it, it doesn't really work if you don't cover both your nose and your mouth. And if the face covering needs to fit fairly snugly um, so that your respiratory droplets aren't getting out. If you think you've had a lot of exposure because you were in that crowded situation, and particularly if there were a lot of people around you uh, without, uh, who were not wearing any face coverings and you were you know, 15 minutes or longer, uh, we do ask that you think about self-quarantining. That would be the best protection. Uh, that means that you would be staying home or in your residence away from other people as much as possible for the full 14 days to see whether you develop any symptoms. After the 14 days, if you haven't developed symptoms, it means that from that exposure, you did not, uh, you were unlikely to have gotten infected. But it will take 14 days uh, for you to know whether you've been, you've had an exposure that resulted in an infection. And I know a lot of people ask me, well, there are a lot of asymptomatic people, so if I'm home for 14 days, I don't develop any uh, signs of the infection, but maybe I still am infected. Another reason why we say at least the 14 days. Uh, but I do want to remind people, it's universal precautions wherever you're out and about. Do your best to have a, face cloth, a cloth face covering and to keep your distance wherever that's possible. Take the next question. That comes from the line of Jim Roop with Westwood One News. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Frere, I have a question for you. The uh, World Health Organization came out with its new guidelines uh, for masks, what they're calling now fabric masks, the three different fabrics uh, and constructed in a certain way. Uh, I'm, you probably know what those are. But uh, what is your advice or guidance or what, is your, what are your thoughts on these new guidelines for masks, giving Everyone probably has secured one by now, and now the World Health Organization is saying, no, it has to be three layers. Yeah, uh, thanks a lot, Jim. I, I really appreciate that question. And again, it, it's, you know, the most unfortunate part, I think, for all of us about living through this pandemic is the fact that the guidance does keep changing as our scientists and researchers learn more about this virus. Um, and, and, you know, this is not the first time uh, that uh, the WHO or CDC or even our local health department has uh, had to change direction. We're reviewing uh, the WHO guidance, as you noted, it just recently came out. Uh, we're working with our federal partners um, to actually see if we can come up with consistent guidance across the country on what are the, implica the implications for the cloth coverings. I do want to note that um, there also was good news embedded in, in some of the recent studies, which really showed that wearing that cloth face covering makes a big difference uh, in terms of uh, other people getting infected uh, from your respiratory droplets. Uh, but we will, look, we will look hard. We've already been saying to people that it was important to make sure it wasn't a flimsy uh, piece of fabric and that you should use something that really had substance. Uh, but we'll look at that and we'll modify... Uh, our own guidance uh, after we thoroughly look at the WHO and work with our partners at CDC. Uh, we'll take the next question. Next question comes to the line of Brenda Gazer with Southern California News Group. Please go ahead. Hi, thank you so much. Um, Dr. Ferrer, in late April, you said we should test all staff and residents at nursing homes. If the county has about 400 skilled nursing facilities, um, then based on the numbers you gave today, 40% of SNFs have not yet tested all their residents and staff. 
I know that the county recently got some outside laboratory support. So what are the biggest obstacles right now in getting this completed? And secondly, um, I imagine that you'd be tracking race data on resident and work deaths in nursing homes. If so, what are you noticing? Um, is it the same as the county, what you're seeing with the uh, different racial and ethnic groups? Is it the same in the nursing homes, or are you seeing different trends? Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, I, I'm really glad you, you raised the first question. There's a lot of confusion around uh, what's the denominator, what is the number of SNFs uh, that L.A. County is responsible for. So I want to say uh, Long Beach and Pasadena do their own investigations and, in, uh, and really oversee the work that is happening in those SNFs. Uh, the number, there are also some uh, skilled nursing facilities that are affiliated with hospitals, uh, and those, again, are uh, treated somewhat differently uh, because of their affiliation with a healthcare, with a hospital facility. Uh, the, we have about 315 SNFs, uh, skilled nursing facilities, uh, that we directly uh, provide support for uh, here in LA County. So we are getting uh, much closer to being able to complete all of the testing and all of the SNFs. Uh, and I do want to acknowledge and thank uh, both the city uh, and the Department of Health Services who have been helping us with this task. But I want to note that uh, Long Beach and Pasadena are doing their own testing uh, of uh, skilled nursing facilities. Obviously, we're all helping each other when it's needed, uh, but uh, 400 is, is not the accurate number of uh, skilled nursing facilities that are under the purview of the L.A. County Public Health Department. Uh, and uh, I think, oh, and then in terms of your question of, of race and ethnicity data, uh, we are preparing a report for that, and we should have that done by next week. Uh, we do have to go back uh, to some of the death records, um, uh, for, especially for the residents. So uh, it's taken us a little longer, but we'll have that information for you. Uh, we have time for one more question. And that comes from the line of Kirsten Mifolo with Courthouse News. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, hi there. Um, it's been referenced and talked about a little bit about uh, new guidances and guidelines, services that are continually being updated. Are there any new guidelines or services uh, that either are in effect or could be soon that are specifically tailored to demonstrators and protesters that, that are offered uniquely to them in their positions, in their environment, uh, that could be offered moving forward? And, and, and if not, what could those look like? Or, or if they are, what could those look like, I should say? Yeah, uh, thanks a lot. I, I, I think I understood the question. Um, we do have guidance already up on our website uh, that is very specific for people who are participating uh, in any protests or marches. So uh, that's already been posted. Uh, we do try to update that uh, if we get new information, uh, but we, I do want to note that that information is on our website. Uh, and now we'll move to questions, I mean to uh, remarks in Spanish uh, with Supervisor Solis. Buenas tardes y gracias por acompañarnos hoy día en nuestra conferencia de la prensa. Yo soy Hilda Solis, Vicepresidente de la Junta de Supervisora del Condado de Los Ángeles. Primero quiero decir unas palabras sobre las protestas de la última semana. He pensado en George Floyd y su familia, en Breonna Taylor, Ahmad Aubrey y sus familias. Y sobre las vidas de los africanoamericanos que hemos perdido 
a causa de violencia de la policía. Las comunidades africanoamericanas están de luto y nuestro país siente este gran dolor. Las protestas que hemos visto por todo el país son una respuesta a las injusticias de las comunidades africanoamericanas en cada día. Quiero decir que yo apoyo a las personas que están protestando y luchando por los derechos de nuestras comunidades de manera pacífica. Ahora más que nunca necesitamos reformas y necesitamos justicia. Esta es una sesión informativa de salud pública sobre el coronavirus. Pero ahora hemos visitado otra crisis de salud pública. Poner fin a la violencia de la policía debería ser una prioridad de la salud pública. Y como ha dicho el doctora Barbara Ferrer, la causa de desigualdad en la atención médica, especialmente durante esta pandemia y en el racismo y la discriminación sistémica. Quiero asegurar que durante estos tiempos cada vez más difícil, difíciles, todos se están comunicando con sus familias y seres queridos. Nuestras vidas han cambiado mucho en estos últimos meses. Por eso es tan importante cuidar nuestra salud mental. Está bien pedir ayuda si lo necesita. Si usted o un ser querido necesita apoyo, llame por favor al Departamento de Salud Mental del Condado de Los Ángeles al número 1-800-854-7771 o manda un mensaje de texto con el mensaje LA, LA al 741741. Quiero reconocer que muchos de nuestros negocios pequeños han sido dañados durante las protestas y muchos de ellos ya estaban viendo tiempos difíciles y, y estaban también tratando, tratando a subvivir. Estos negocios ayudan a nuestra economía y ofrecen trabajos que mantienen a muchas familias de nuestras comunidades. Uno de cada tres dueños de negocios son inmigrantes y contribuyen 700 mil millones de dólares en la economía del condado de Los Ángeles. La gran mayoría de los dueños de los negocios pequeños en el condado de Los Ángeles son inmigrantes. El condado va a seguir ofreciendo recursos y ayuda a los negocios impactados. Si usted tiene un negocio, por ejemplo, necesita nuestra ayuda, puede ir a lacountyhelp.center.org, lacountyhelpcenter.org o llamar al número 800 593-8222. Hoy sabemos que la tasa nacional de desempleo bajó a 13.3% en mayo, pero esto todavía es mucho más alto que el, pic, el uh, pico de 10% de desempleo durante el gran recesión hace más de 10 años. El condado de Los Ángeles ha tenido una tasa de desempleo máximo de casi 20% en abril de este año. Además, 1.6 millones de personas en el condado han aplicado para seguro de desempleo en los tres meses de esta crisis. Sabemos que el desempleo está afectando más a nuestras comunidades, especialmente las personas de color. 
la tasa nacional de desempleo para los blancos bajó de 14.2% al 12.4%, pero el desempleo para los africanos americanos subió de 16.7% al 16.8%. Para las personas asiáticas subió al 15% y para los latinos el desempleo sigue alto en 17.6%. Por eso vamos a seguir ayudando a todos los trabajadores que forman nuestra economía y esperamos que puedan volver a trabajar. Quiero recordar a todos que también seguimos trabajando para proteger al público de COVID-19. Muchos negocios y especialmente Uh, las personas que tienen negocios que querían abrir uh, sus negocios, tenemos que seguir protegiéndonos. Estas protecciones, protecciones son para la seguridad de todos. Muchas gracias y ahora me da mucho gusto presentar a Jacqueline Valenzuela del Departamento Salud Público. Buenas tardes. Para actualizarlos, nos da tristeza informarles que 36 personas adicionales han fallecido por causas de COVID-19. La, la mayoría de estas personas eran mayores de 65 años de edad y tenían condiciones delicadas de salud. Esto eleva el número total de fallecimientos a 2,565. 94% de las personas que fallecieron por causas de COVID-19 tenían condiciones delicadas de salud. Este número se ha mantenido constante. Hoy también reportamos 1,445 casos nuevos. Esto eleva el número total de personas uh, que dieron positivo por COVID-19 uh, a 61,045. Estamos reportando 447 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. Y nos da tristeza informar que otras dos personas sin hogar han fallecido por causas de COVID-19. Las dos personas que fallecieron no, eh, no, se, no estaban en albergues. Esto eleva el total de fe, fallecimientos a 13 entre personas sin hogar. 6,833 personas que dieron positivo por COVID-19 fueron hospitalizadas en algún momento durante su enfermedad, cual representa el 11% de todos los casos positivos. Actualmente hay 1,488 personas que están hospitalizadas a causas de COVID-19. El 29% de estas personas están en unidades de cuidados intensivos y 20% de estas personas están en ventiladores. 6,833 personas que dieron positivo por COVID-19 fueron hospitalizadas en algún momento durante su enfermedad. Hemos investigado un total de 564 entornos de con congregación residencial y no residenciales con al menos un caso confirmado de sospecha de ser COVID-19. El total de casos confirmados en entornos institucionales es de 14,519 y esto incluye a 9,449 residentes y 5,070 miembros del personal. Nos da tristeza informar que 1,379 personas que vivían en entornos institucionales uh, han fallecido por causas de COVID-19. 
el 89% de las personas que vivían en entornos institucionales que fallecieron residían en centros de enfermería especializada. Estamos reportando 954 casos confirmados en algún momento en las cárceles, 712 entre personas encarceladas y 242 entre empleados. Y hay 178 casos en la prisión estatal, 753 casos en las prisiones federales y hay 26 casos en las instalaciones juveniles. El Departamento del Aguacil reporta que entre su personal hay 307 casos positivos, 398 empleados en cuarentena y 1,616 empleados han regresado a trabajar. El Departamento de Bomberos informa que 515 miembros del personal han sido evaluados para COVID-19, 31 miembros del personal han dado resultados positivos, 11 están aislados en casa, 30 han regresado al trabajo y 3 están enfermos en casa. Más de 671,000 uh, resultados de la prueba de COVID-19 han sido reportados al Departamento de Salud Pública y el 8% de las personas evaluadas dieron resultados positivos. Hoy también tenemos una actualización sobre los datos de raza y etnicidad eh, y nivel de ingresos que estamos analizando de cerca. Para las 2,373 personas que fallecieron donde se identificó la raza y etnicidad, el 41% son latinos, el 28% son blancos, el 18% son asiáticos, el 12% son afroamericanos. Un por ciento, menos de un por ciento son nativos de Hawái o de las Islas del Pacífico y un por ciento se identifican con otra raza de etnicidad. Cuando analizamos estos números como tasas por cada 100,000 personas, podemos hacer comparaciones con otros grupos para, de la población y revelar más sobre qué grupos se ven más afectados. La tasa de mortalidad entre los afroamericanos es de 31 por cada 100,000 personas. Para los nativos de Hawái y las islas del Pacífico, la tasa de mortalidad es de 30 por cada 100,000 personas. Este número es mucho más bajo de lo que habíamos informado, ya que hubo, hubo una reclasificación de los datos y esta es una estimación más precisa de la tasa de mortalidad entre este grupo. Para las personas que se identifican como latinas, la tasa de mortalidad es de 29 por cada 100,000 personas. Para las personas asiáticas, la tasa de mortalidad es de 21 por 100,000 personas. Y para los blancos, la tasa de mortalidad es de 15 por cada 100,000 personas. Y cuando se observan estos datos por niveles de pobreza en la comunidad, Vemos que las personas que viven en áreas con uh, altas tasas de pobreza, uh, ellos tienen casi cuatro veces la tasa de mortalidad por COVID-19, 51 por cada 100,000 personas, en comparación con las, con las comunidades con niveles de pobreza más bajos, que tienen un nivel de 13 por cada 100,000 personas. 
también hemos analizado nuestros datos uh, para predecir cuántas muertes uh, a causa de COVID-19 deberíamos de esperar si cada grupo tuviera la misma tasa de mortalidad de aquellos que tienen la tasa de mortalidad más baja. Luego de, podemos calcular cuántas muertes adicionales han ocurrido han ocurrido más allá de lo que esperábamos y llamamos esto muertes en exceso. Si la tasa de mortalidad para los grupos fuera igual que para los residentes blancos que tienen la tasa de mortalidad más baja, eh, tendríamos 754 muertes menos. Han habido, ha habido un exceso de 485 entre las personas que se identifican como latinas. 143 muertes en exceso entre los afroamericanos y 125 muertes en exceso entre las personas que son asiáticas. Cuando observamos las comunidades por niveles de ingresos y asumimos que la tasa de mortalidad para todos um, grupos fuera igual que para las personas que viven en comunidades con uh, poca pobreza, ha habido 981 muertes en exceso entre las personas que viven en comunidades con niveles más altos de pobreza. Continuamos trabajando con nuestros socios comunitarios y el Departamento de Servicios de Salud para proporcionar más recursos a estas comunidades más afectadas. Uno de estos esfuerzos es aumentar la cantidad de pruebas. A partir de hoy, hay 73 uh, sitios de prueba de COVID-19 disponibles incluso en algunas farmacias de CVS, hospitales, clínicas comunitarias, locales y otros sitios, sitios comunitarios, muchos de los cuales se encuentran en comunidades altamente uh, impactadas. Las citas aún son necesarias, así que asegúrese de visitar covid19.lacounty.gov-testing para encontrar un sitio cerca de usted. También puede marcar al 211 si necesita ayuda con eso. Eh, nuestros departamentos a través del condado y nuestros socios también continúan ofreciendo recursos relacionados con alimentos y vivienda y otros apoyos. Así que les recomiendo que visite el sitio web covid19.lacounty.gov para obtener más información. Y el número desproporcionadamente alto de muertos por COVID-19 entre nuestras diversas comunidades es una indicación del impacto del racismo y de la discriminación en la salud. Y como hemos mencionado, vemos que esto se desarrolla de muchas maneras, desde la mortalidad infantil hasta las enfermedades crónicas. Debemos observar estos sistemas y las prácticas en nuestra sociedad para comprender estas injusticias. Largas historias de racismo institucional uh, que han resultado en menos recursos y oportunidades aso asociadas con la salud. Queremos también hablar sobre el riesgo de exposición a COVID-19 en reuniones gra grandes, incluidas las protestas que hemos visto en estos días. Si cree que pudo haber sido expuesto a COVID-19 eh, porque estuvo en contacto cercano con alguien que por más de 15 minutos que no tenía una cubierta de tela sobre la cara, uh, recuerde que, que el virus tiene un largo periodo de incubación y será importante mantenerse alejado de los demás tanto como le sea posible uh, durante 14 días. 
es importante saber que si se hace la prueba muy pronto, um, después de la exposición, es probable que tenga un resultado negativo porque su carga viral será demasiado baja en ese momento para ser detectada en una prueba. Si vive con personas que corren un mayor riesgo de enfermarse gravemente por el virus, es particularmente importante que mantenga una distancia de seis pies y que se cubra la cara cuando esté con ellos en casa. Evite preparar alimentos para otros y evite compartir utensilios, ropa de cama y toallas y aumente la limpieza de las superficies uh, comunes. Si desarrolla síntomas de entre los 14 días, comuníquese con su médico lo más pronto posible. La capacidad de pruebas de COVID-19 ha aumentado en todo nuestro condado y estamos muy agradecidos con la doctora Gally y con el Departamento de Servicios de Salud por su trabajo y su esfuerzo. Um, todavía hay prioridades que estamos dando para ciertos grupos que se hagan la prueba. Eh, nuestros grupos de mayor prioridad para las pruebas continúan, continúan siendo pacientes hospitalizados, trabajadores de atención médica y personal de primeros auxilios con síntomas, así como residentes y empleados en centros de atención a largo plazo u otros entornos de vida congregada donde hay brotes. Estos grupos tienen prioridad para garantizar una atención óptima para todos los pacientes, reduciendo el riesgo de propagación en, de infecciones en los hospitales y detectando, controlando, detectando y controlando brotes en estos entornos. También recomendamos realizar pruebas para cualquier persona que tenga síntomas y que sea mayor o que tenga condiciones delicadas de salud. Como, como hemos mencionado, uh, estos grupos tienen un mayor riesgo de enfermedad muy grave y muerte por COVID-19. Y alentamos las pruebas según la disponibilidad de recursos uh, a cualquier persona que experimenta síntomas, así como a las personas uh, que han sido contactos cercanos de personas que son positivas por COVID-19. Gracias. And now we'll um, have Dr. Flores Uribe uh, make further remarks in Spanish. Buenas tardes a todos. Voy a tocar a tres temas hoy. Disparidades en cómo COVID-19 afecta a nuestras comunidades y qué está haciendo el Departamento de Servicios para abordarlas. Pruebas para COVID-19, particularmente a la luz de las recientes protestas y nueva guía del Departamento de Servicios de Salud. Y actualización sobre lo que indican las proyecciones de modelos sobre cómo se está propagando el COVID-19 en nuestras comunidades y el impacto que podría tener en nuestro sistema de salud. Primero hablando de las disparidades. Desafortunadamente, como en las muchas injusticias que tenemos luchando en este momento, COVID-19 está impactando trágicamente minorías de bajos ingresos y en una manera desproporcionadamente alta. En el Condado de Los Ángeles estamos respondiendo. El Departamento de Servicios de Salud estamos comprometidos a garantizar la equidad y el acceso a las atenciones médicas para todos. El Departamento de Servicios de Salud 
es el hogar médico para más de 450 mil pacientes que no tienen seguro médico o que cuentan con medical. Más de 80% de nuestros pacientes se identifican como minorías. Ahora hablar del acceso. Las comunidades de alto riesgo que se ven fuertemente afectadas por COVID-19 deben tener acceso a pruebas y atención médica en sus vecindarios. El Departamento de Servicios de Salud ha enfocado geográficamente en la creación y el soporte de sitios de prueba de todas las comunidades del condado. Mientras trabajamos para entregar la capacidad de hacer pruebas de COVID-19 en el sistema de atención médico, estamos trabajando con proveedores en estas comunidades. Proveedores que ya son socios confiables y proveedores médicos para los residentes locales. Las personas en comunidades de alto riesgo pueden venir a cualquier sitio de prueba. También pueden ir a cualquier o varias de nuestras clínicas o centros de salud federalmente cualificados, los FQHCs, que ofrecen este tipo de prueba. Las clínicas comunitarias públicas y privadas, como las clínicas del Departamento de Servicios de Salud y los FQHCs, son confiables en el, para la comunidad y para la comunidad que está a más alto riesgo a contraer el COVID-19. Estamos trabajando directamente con estas clínicas para respaldar su capacidad de ofrecer pruebas de COVID-19 a sus pacientes y a apoyar a su comunidad. Esto incluye asistencia técnica, conectar estas clínicas a laboratorios con, con capacidad suficiente para satisfacer la demanda, apoyo de comunicaciones, apoyo de los suministros estatales de equipo de protección personal y isopos, obtener asistencia para reclamar pagos y trabajar con el Departamento de Salud en un enfoque para el seguimiento de contactos que sea integrado en la comunidad local. Sabemos que proporcionar acceso no es suficiente. Necesitamos involucrar a la comunidad. Hasta con acceso debemos garantizar confianza. Debemos hacer todo lo posible para apoyar e involucrar a las comunidades de alto riesgo. Como Departamento de Servicios Social, de, de Servicios de, de Salud, sabemos que esto es clave para proporcionar atención médica efectiva de alta calidad. Esta es una de las razones por las cuales el Departamento de Servicios de Salud está presentando una propuesta para la subvención de epidemiología y capacidad de laboratorio del Centro para el Control y Prevención de Enfermedades por aproximadamente 4 millones en fondos para apoyar los esfuerzos para abordar estas disparidades. Esto incluye campañas de comunicación enfocadas en comunidades altamente impactadas el desarrollo de materiales de educación pública, cultural y en lenguajes apropiados. Y estamos haciendo este importante trabajo y está teniendo un impacto positivo. Queremos construir sobre esto. Además, la presupuesta implica una sólida iniciativa de alcance comunitario, compromiso 
y vinculación. Esto involucra a los socios de la comunidad para abordar las disparidades en el acceso a pruebas y la atención de COVID-19 en comunidades específicas. Estas incluyen comunidades afroamericanas, latino-latino o latinex, isleño de Asia-Pacífico, indígena, monolingües y las comunidades involucradas con el sistema de justicia. Por lo último, este apoyo ofrece el desarrollo de capacidades para nuestros socios en la comunidad, para mejorar su capacidad de alcanzar y impactar los resultados en muchos de nuestros miembros de esta comunidad. Estos pasos son críticos para ayudarnos y apoyar y mitigar las disparidades de COVID-19 en nuestras comuni comunidades. Alcance. También estamos explorando oportunidades para alcanzar nuestras comunidades en una manera que es sostenible y en colaboración de nuestras clínicas y partes interesadas. Un ejemplo de esto es uno de nuestros sitios de prueba está localizado en la Universidad de Charles Drew. En este caso está operada con asociación con nuestro personal de, del condado, particularmente el centro ambulatorio de MLK y de CDU. Los trabajadores del sitio de prueba de la clínica MLK son trabajadores del Departamento de Servicios de Salud y ellos conectan a los pacientes a, los, a la atención médica. El personal de Charles Drew se comunica activamente con la comunidad, incluyendo informando a los supermercados locales y a las organizaciones comunitarias cerca al sitio de prueba. Estos esfuerzos han aumentado los números de pruebas diarios. Primero tenían 100 a 200 pruebas por día y ahora con estos esfuerzos estamos mirando más de 700 pruebas por día. Este es un modelo que todos podemos seguir como un enfoque exitoso basado en la comunidad para las pruebas. Al restaer los datos de comunidad de minoría, nos complace que están accediendo los servicios de prueba de manera proporcional a la población general. Pero dado la diferencia en carga de casos y de mortalidad de COVID-19, necesitamos hacer más y asegurarnos que todas las personas en riesgo de COVID conozcan los síntomas, tengan acceso conveniente a un sitio para realizar pruebas, adialmente uno conectado con proveedor para seguir su atención médica. Ahora, hablando de actuación uh, de las pruebas. Es, in, es inspirante ver el deseo de tantos de participar en las protestas en re, respuesta al asesinato injusto de George Floyd a manos de la policía. Y en protesta por el hecho que lamentablemente no es cerca del primer asesinato de este tipo. A medida que tuvieron lugar estas protestas, no emitamos ningún mandato para cerrar los sitios de prueba. Por el contrario, permitimos que cada sitio de prueba tomará su propia decisión. Como resultado, el volumen de pruebas se ha habido efectivamente bajado. Pero había algunos factores en juego. 
Tuvimos varios sitios cerrados permanentemente. Esto fue anunciado la semana pasada mientras trabajamos para cambiar las pruebas para ser integradas en el sistema de salud. Esto no estaba relacionado con las protestas. Los sitios que decidieron cerrar naturalmente tuvieron cancelaciones. Contactamos a casi 2,000 personas para cancelar y reprogramar. Vimos cantidades de no presentación más altas que habíamos visto antes, lo cual es comprensible dado todo lo que está pasando en Los Ángeles. El acceso de las pruebas sigue siendo una de las principales prioridades para el condado de Los Ángeles. El Departamento de Salud, de Servicios de Salud, continúa trabajando con nuestro personal, nuestros socios y el sistema de atención médico más amplio para garantizar que estamos evaluando a quienes lo necesitan. Para aquellos que pueden sentir que fueron expuestos a COVID-19, ya sea en una protesta o en otro entorno, definado como estar menos de seis pies de distancia por 15 minutos, las personas deben considerar la necesidad de ponerse en cuarentena, seguir la guía del Departamento de Salud y buscar pruebas si se vuelven sintomáticos. En todos nuestros sitios operados por el condado y administrados por socios, estamos comprometidos a proporcionar el producto de prueba de la más alta calidad posible. Como parte de eso, estamos trabajando con laboratorios con tiempos de respuesta mejor y mejorados. También estamos cambiando a isopos nasales. Estamos cambiando a un isopo nasal superficial que se introduce a la parte anterior de la fosa nasal. Esto es diferente a la prueba nasal profunda. La prueba todavía es autocolectada supervisada por un trabajador en sitio. Los estudios respaldan en cambio al hisopo nasal que conduce a una mejor recolección de muestras, una mejor sensibilidad y menos falsos negativos. Este cambio es una estrategia clave de prueba a largo plazo, ya que trabajamos para limitar la propagación dentro de las comunidades y tratar a los enfermos. En todos nuestros sitios operados por el condado y administrados por socios, estamos comprometidos a hacer este cambio. La nueva guía del Departamento de Salud, como acabo de mencionar mi colega, la doctora Ferrer, hay una nueva guía de pruebas en el condado de Los Ángeles. Esta guía destaca la necesidad continua de que todas las personas sintomáticas reciban pruebas. También destaca la necesidad de contactos cercanos de casos conocidos como parte de los esfuerzos de sigamiento de contactos de la salud pública para ser probados incluso si no tiene síntomas. También se continuará pruebas para aquellos que viven y trabajan en entornos de alto riesgo independientemente de, de síntomas. La guía aclara los individuos asintomáticos no necesitan ser evaluados y reitera que las pruebas no deben usarse para terminar la cuarentena o el aislamiento temprano. Esta guía se implementará 
en nuestros sitios de prueba en las próximas semanas. Anunciaremos la fecha cuando finalicemos las planes para su implementación con el Departamento de Salud. Ahora hablar sobre el modelo. También quiero hablar un poco de nuestros esfuerzos a modelar del Departamento de, de Servicios de Salud. El volumen general de pacientes hospitalizados con COVID-19 parecen generalmente estables y ligeramente subiendo. En las últimas semanas comenzamos a hablar sobre R, el número de transmisión efectivo. Después de la introducción de los requisitos de distanciamiento físico, R cayó rápidamente de 3 a 3.5 y se mantuvo cerca de 1, lo que significa que cada persona con COVID-19 en promedio transmitió la infección a una nueva persona. Eso fue hace unas semanas. Si bien aún no se sabe con certeza qué efecto tendrá la relajación de los requisitos del distanciamiento físico en la transmisión de COVID-19. ARRE parece ser ahora mayor que uno y tiene una tendencia ligeramente ascendente. Si la transmisión, transmisión ha aumentado, el modelo predice un aumento continuo en el volumen de pacientes hospitalizados durante las próximas dos a cuatro semanas. Incluso con esta tendencia, el número de camas de hospital y ventiladores en el condado de Los Ángeles parece adecuado para satisfacer la necesidad proyectada de la atención de pacientes adicionales con COVID-19 entre las siguientes cuatro semanas. La cantidad de camas en cuidados intensivos puede volverse inadecuada en dos a cuatro semanas si hay aumentos adicionales en la transmisión. El Departamento de Servicios de Salud está observando esta capacidad de las camas de cuidados intensivos muy de cerca. Necesitamos hacer todo lo posible para evitar que R aumente. Esto significa lavarse las manos, usar mascarillas faciales y mantener la distancia física. Hay formas de mantenerse estas prácticas incluso cuando volvemos a la sociedad y más personas regresen a su sitio de trabajo. Por favor, continúe haciéndolo. Las próximas semanas serán reveladoras. Recuerde que un pico en transmisión puede tardar algunas semanas de hacerse evidente. Siga haciendo todo lo que está en su alcance para reducir la transmisión. Sus acciones, mis acciones, tienen un impacto no solamente en nuestra propia salud, sino en la salud de todos aquellos con quien convivimos. Estamos todos juntos en esto. Todos podemos superar esto, pero solo si cada uno de nosotros hace nuestra parte para evitar la transmisión. Como siempre, gracias por los trabajadores de salud, los que nos dan los primeros auxilios, los trabajadores esenciales en la primera línea de pacientes en la pandemia. Y gracias a todos por mantener el curso. En lo que sabemos, nos mantendría a salvo. Ahora quiero introducir a nuestro siguiente hablador, 
I'd like to introduce our next speaker, uh, Nona Aganasonian from Public Health. Thank you. Barrior Bolorin. Snora Kalem Verahaskich Marmineri Vokh Horotin. I saw Tsavob Haitnomen Kieva Sierra Sunvets Mahvan Masin. Այդ մարդկանցից 25-ը 65 տարեկանից բարձր են, որոնցից 22-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ 9-ը անձի տարիքը 41-65-ն է, եւ 6-ը ունեցել են ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Սա բերում է ընդհանուր մահերի թիվը 2565-ի Los Angeles շրջանում։ COVID-19-ով մահացած անձանց 94%-ը ուներ ուղեկցող առողջական խնդիրներ։ Ինչը կարևորում է այն անձանց, ովքեր առողջության լուրջ խնդիրներ ունեն, մնալ տանը եւ հնարավորինը սխուսափել սերտ կապերից։ Այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 1445 դեպքերի մասին։ Եվ սա բերում է Los Angeles շրջանի դրական դեպքերի ընդհանուր թիվը 41045-ի։ Այս դեպքերը ներառում են Long Beach քաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 2160 դեպքեր, իսկ Pasadena քաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 968 դեպքեր, որոնք ունեն անկախ առողջապահական բաժանմունքներ։ Մենք հայտնում ենք 447 հաստատված դեպքեր անոթևան ապրող մարդկանց շրջանում։ Ապաստան գտած 201 անձինք Պատշաճ կերպով մեկուսացված են, իսկ սերտ կապերը կարանտինացված են։ Անոթևան ապրող մարդկանց մեծ մասը, ովքեր դրական են COVID-19-ի համար, եղել են միության փրկարար առաքելության հյուրերը։ Հոսպիտալացման տվյալները 6833 դեպք ինչ որ պահի հոսպիտալացվել են, որը կազմում է բոլոր դրական դեպքերի 11%-ը։ Ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել է 1488 մարդ, որոնցից 29%-ը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժանմունքում, իսկ 20%-ը միացված են շնչարական օդափոխիչների։ Ներկայումս քննություններ են կատարվում 564 ինստիտուցիոնալ բնակության հաստատություններում։ Դրանց թվում են ծերանոցներ, ապաստաններ, բուժման կենտրոններ, օժանդակվող բնակելի հաստատություններ եւ քրեակատարողական հիմնարկներ։ Ինստիտուցիոնալ միջավայրում հաստատված ընդհանուր դեպքերը 14519-ն են։ Ներառյալ անձնակազմ եւ բնակիչներ։ Այս դեպքերից բնակիչները կազմում են 9449 դեպք, իսկ անձնակազմը կազմում է 5070 դեպք։ Մենք զեկուցում ենք, որ հաստատված 954 դեպքեր արձանագրվել են քրեակատարողական հիմնարկներում։ 712 դատապարտյալ եւ 242 աշխատող։ 178 դեպք նահանգային բանտերում։ 738 բանտարկյալ եւ 15 աշխատակազմ։ 26 աշխատակազմի դեպք անչափասների հաստատություններում։ Մենք տեղադրում ենք հաստատված դեպքերի եւ մահվան թիվը մեր կայքում աշխատողներին, բնակիչներին եւ ընտանիքներին տեղեկացնելուց հետո։ Եվ Los Angeles շրջանի արձանագրված բոլոր նոր դեպքերի զերկույցը կարող է տեսնել առողջապահության վարչության կայքում publichealth.lacounty.gov Los Angeles շրջանի շերիֆ վարչությունը զեկուցում է 307 դրական դեպք անձնակազմի մեջ, 
Ավելիքան 6-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-9-
Եվ համայնքներում նայում ենք եկամուտի մակարդակով և ենթադրում ենք, որ բոլոր խմբերի համար մահացության մակարդակը նույն է, ինչ բոլոր այլ աղկատ համայնքներում ապրող մարդկանց համար, Այս թվերը բացարցակապես ծուց են տալիս, որ անհավասարությունները կյանքի և մահվան հետևանքներ են ունենում։ Այսօրվա դրությամբ արկայ 73 կովիտ 19-ով թեստավորման վայր նրայրյալ CVS որոշ դեղատներում, Այնպես, որ այցելեք COVID-19-ը դատ LAKN.gov slash testing վայրը գտնելու և նշանակումներ կատարելու համար։ Կարող եք նաև զանգահարել երկուս մեկ մեկ, եթե դրա համար ոգնության կարիք ունեք։ Մեր կույր բաժամու Հորդորում եմ ձեզ լրացուցիշ տեղեկությունների համար այցելեք covid19.lakhani.gov կայքը։ Մենք պետք է նայենք մեր հասարակությանը կարույսներին, համակարքերին և պրակտիկային հասկանալու համար անհավասարությունները, ռեսուրսների և հնարավորություններին, որոն կապված են ոպտիմալ առողջության հետ։ Շնորականը բոլորին, ովքեր առաջնագծում կանգնած են և վերջտալ, և փորձում են վերջտալ ռասիզմին և ճնշումներին։ դու կարող եք ենթարգվել COVID-19-ի վարակին դրսում և մեծ բազմության մեջ, կանի որ արնվազը 15 ռոպե սրտկապի մեջ եք այն մարդկանց հետ, ովքեր դեմքի ծացկույթներ չեն կրում։ Հիշեք, որ վիրուսը ունի երկար ինկուբացյոն � դուք հավանաբար բացասական արդյունք ունենակ, կանի որ ձեր վիրուսային ծանրաբերնվածությունը շատ ծացր կլինի, որպիսի հայտնաբերվի COVID-19-ը։ COVID-19-ի բացասական տեստավորվելը չի նշանակում, որ ինկուբացյոն Եթե դուք ապրում եք այն մարդկանց հետ, ովքեր վիրուսից լրջոր են հիվանդանալու ավելի մեծ վտանգ ունեն, հատկապես կարևոր է, որ վեծ ոտք հերավորություն պահպանեք և երեսը ծացկեք, այն ժամանակ երպտանը նրանց Եթե դուք աղտանիշներ ունեք տաշչորս որվա անթացքում, դիմեք ձեր առողջապահության աշխատողին։ Դեստավորման առաշնային խմբերը շարունակում են մնալ հոսպիտալացված հիվանները, 
բուժ աշխատողները եւ ախտանիշներով առաջին արձականքողները, ինչպես նաեւ բնակիչները եւ աշխատակիցները, ինչպես սիմպտոմատիկ, այնպես էլ ասիմպտոմատիկ, երկարատև խնամքի հաստատություններում կամ այլ կենցաղային պայմաններում որտեղ կան բռնկումներ։ Այս խմբերը առաջնահերթություն ունեն ապահովելու բոլոր հոսպիտալացված եւ ինստիտուցիոնալ հիվանդների եւ անձնակազմի բոլոր օպտիմալ խնամքը նվազացնել հիվանդանոցներում վարակի տարածման վտանգը ինչպես նաեւ ինստիտուցիոնալ միջավայրում բռնկումները հայտնաբերելու եւ վերահսկելու համար։ Մենք խստորեն խրախուսում ենք տեստավորում յուրաքանչյուրի համար։ ով ախտանիշներ ունի եւ տարեց է կամ ունի առողջապահական հիմքում ընկած պայմաններ ինչպես նշեցինք այս խմբերը ավելի լուրջ վտանգ են ենթարկում կովիդ 19-ից լուրջ հիվանդությունների եւ մահվան եւ մենք հրախոսում ենք տեսավորում անցկացնել քանի որ ռեսուրսները թույլ են տալիս ցանկացած ախտանիշ ունեցող անձի համար ինչպես նաեւ այն մարդկանց ովքեր սերտ շփումներին ունեցել այն մարդկանց հետ ովքեր դրական են կովիդ 19-ով շնորհակալություն Thank you Now the remarks in Korean Anyashimnika Los Angeles County Bogondangugi balpyoan daily report를 말씀드리겠습니다 유감스럽게도 코로나 바이러스로 인해 추가로 36명의 사망자가 보고되었음을 알리게 되었습니다 이중 25명은 65세 이상이고 이중 22명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 이중 9명은 41에서 65세 사이이고 이중 6명은 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 이중 1명은 18세에서 40세 사이이고 어, 이미 질환을 가지고 있었습니다. 롱비치시에서는 1명의 사망자가 있었고 자세한 점은 롱비치시 웹사이트에서 보실 수 있습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서 총 사망자 수는 2,565명입니다. 사망자 36명 중에 12명은 전문 간호시설에서 거주하였음을 알려드립니다. 코로나 바이러스로 사망한 분들 중 94%가 이미 질환을 가지고 있었으며 이 수치는 계속 이어지고 있습니다. 만약 이미 만성 폐질환이나 천식, 심장병, 에이즈, 홍근, 면역체질 질환을 가지고 계시다면 가능한 한 집에 머무르시고 다른 사람과의 밀접한 접촉을 피하시고 아프기 시작하면 바로 의사에게 연락하십시오. 담당 의사가 필요하시면 211로 전화하셔서 의료 담당자 정보를 얻으실 수 있습니다. 오늘로써 1,445건의 새로운 확진 케이스가 보고되었습니다. 이로써 로스앤젤레스 카운티에서 총 확진 케이스 수는 61,045건입니다. 이 수는 롱비치시에서 2,160건, 파사디나시에서 968건이 있었으며 이두 시는 각 보건구가 따로 있음을 알려드립니다. 노숙자들 중에 확진 케이스 수는 447건입니다. 이들 중 200... 한 명은 보호소에서 고립되어 있고 밀접 접촉자는 격리되었습니다. 노숙자들 중에 두 명이 코로나 바이러스로 새로 사망하였습니다. 이로써 노숙자들 중에 총 사망자 수는 13명임을 알려드립니다. 코로나 바이러스 테스트를 받은 사람들 중 6,833명이 병원에 입원한 적이 있었으며 이들 중 11%는 양성 확진 케이스였습니다. 현재 1,488명이 양성 확진자로 병원에 입원해 있으며 이들 중 29%는 종환자실에 20%는 인공호흡기에 의존해 있습니다. 하나 이상의 확진 케이스가 나온 총 564개의 
거주시설과 비거주시설을 조사하였으며 이중 484개는 현재 조사 중이고 80개는 조사를 마쳤습니다. 이 시설들에는 양로원 전문 간호시설, 보호소, 치료소, 서폴리빙, 교도소, 직장, 음식점, 상점, 교육기관 등을 포함합니다. 시설에서의 총 확진 케이스 수는 14,519건이고 이중 9,449명은 거주자이며 5,070명은 일하는 사람들입니다. 시설에 사는 사망, 사람들 중 사망자 수는 1,379명이고 모든 사망자 수의 89%입니다. 대부분이 전문 간호시설에 살고 있었습니다. 지금까지 LA보건부로 67만 1천 건 이상의 코로나 바이러스 테스트를 받은 것으로 보고되었으며 이중 8%가 양성 결과였습니다. 테스트 장소와 테스트 예약은 온라인으로 covid19.lacounty.gov.testing 웹사이트에서 알아보실 수 있습니다. 전문 간호시설과 관련된 업데이트입니다. 어제까지 244개의 전문 간호시설이 모든 거주자들과 직원들을 테스트했으며 71개의 시설이 현재 테스트를 하고 있는 중입니다. 이것에는 이미 바이러스 확산이 있었던 시설과 그렇지 않은 시설 모두가 포함됩니다. 테스트를 한 8천 만 8천 명 중에 9%가 확진자였습니다. 그런데 이 중에서 14%는 증상이 있었고 86%는 증상이 없거나 증상이 아직 시작되기 전이었습니다. 이 수치는 2주 전과 비슷한데요. 많은 사람들이 무증상이지만 코로나 바이러스의 확진자일 수가 있습니다. 그러므로 이것이 바로 왜 우리가 거리 두기와 전염병 관리 지침을 따르는 것이 중요한지를 보여줍니다. 인종과 민족성 그리고 소득 수준과 관련된 업데이트입니다. 인종과 민족성이 알려진 2,373명의 사망자 중에 41%는 라틴계, 28%는 백인, 18%는 동양인, 12%는 흑인, 1% 미만은 하와이 태평양섬 원주인, 그리고 나머지 1%는 기타 인종이었습니다. 하와이 태평양섬 원주인의 사망률은 10만 명당 30명, 흑인 사망률은 10만 명당 31명입니다. 라틴 계열은 10만 명당 29명, 동양인은 10만 명당 21명, 백인은 10만 명당 15명입니다. 이 데이터를 지역 빈곤 수준에 비교해 보았을 때 높은 빈곤층에 사는 사람들이 그렇지 않은 사람들보다 4배 더 높음을 알게 되었습니다. 이 데이터를 제일 낮은 사망률과 동일한 사망률로 모든 인종 그룹을 비교해 보았을 때 얼마나 더 많은 사망자 수가 있었는지를 계산할 수 있었는데 이를 초과 사망자 수라고 부르겠습니다. 제일 낮은 사망률인 백인의 사망자 수로 비교했을 때 라틴 계열은 485명의 초과 사망자가 있었고 흑인은 143명의 초과 사망자, 동양인은 125명의 초과 사망자가 있었습니다. 이 데이터를 소득 수준과 비교해 보았을 때 빈곤율이 높은 지역에서는 981명의 초과 사망자 수가 있었음을 볼수 있습니다. 이 수치는 불평등이 어떻게 생사와 관련이 있는지를 볼수 있습니다. 보건당국은 지역사회 파트너와 헬스서비스 디파트먼트와 함께 이 간격을 좁히고 자원이 부족한 지역에 더 많은 자원을 베풀기 위해서 노력하고 있습니다. 테스팅과 관련하여 하는 한 가지 노력은 바로 자원을 늘리는 것입니다. 오늘로서 73개의 테스트 장소가 있고 
여기에는 CBS 약국, 병원, 지역사회의 진료실, 그리고 다른 지역사회 장소들이 있습니다. 미리 예약을 하는 것은 필수이고 웹사이트 covid19.lacounty.gov/testing에서 가까운 테스트 장소를 확인하시고 예약하실 수 있습니다. 또 도움이 필요하시면 211로 전화하실 수 있습니다. 음식과 주택 그리고 다른 서포트와 관련된 서비스에 대해서 웹사이트 covid19.lacounty.gov 웹사이트에서 또 알아보실 수 있습니다. 흑인과 황인종 가운데서 코로나 바이러스로 인한 높은 사망률은 인종차별과 차별이 이와 사망률에서부터 만성질환에까지 우리의 건강에 얼마나 영향을 미치는지를 볼수 있었습니다. 이러한 인종차별과 억압을 끝내기 위해서 앞장서는 모든 분들께 감사드립니다. 큰 무리로 모일 때 특히 전국적으로 벌어지고 있는 시위 가운데서 코로나 바이러스에 노출되었을 때 있을 수 있는 위험에 대해서 언급하고 싶습니다. 큰 무리 가운데 있을 때 특히 안면 가리대를 쓰지 않은 사람과 15분 이상 밀접 접촉했을 때 코로나에 노출된 것 같다면 이 바이러스는 잠복 기간이 길기 때문에 14일 동안 다른 사람과 가능하면 멀리 떨어져 있어야 합니다. 기억할 것은 노출 후에 너무 빨리 테스트를 받으면 음성 결과가 나올 수 있기 때문에 나올 수 있는데 왜냐하면 바이러스가 아직 테스트에 나타나기에는 낮은 수치일 수 있기 때문입니다. 그러므로 노출 후에 음성 결과를 받은 것은 잠복 기간 중에 감염되지 않은 것이라는 뜻이 아니므로 14일 동안은 다른 사람에게서 떨어져 있어야 합니다. 만약 바이러스로 인해 심한 질병에 걸릴 확률이 높은 사람과 살고 있다면 특히 집에서 그들과 있을 때에는 6피트의 거리를 두고 안면 가리개를 꼭 사용하고 다른 사람을 위해 음식을 준비하거나 식기, 침구, 수건과 같은 것, 물건을 같이 사용하지 않을 필요가 있습니다. 또한 자주 만지는 표면을 청소하고 소독해야 합니다. 14일 내에 증상이 나타나면 의료서비스 종사자에게 연락하여 치료와 테스트를 받아야 합니다. 테스트와 관련해서 추, 최우선순위 그룹은 병원 입원자, 의료서비스 종사자, 또 증인이 있는 최초 대응자, 널싱홈에, 널싱홈이나 전염병이 있는 시설에 살고 있는 증상자 혹은 무증상자, 또 모든 거주자와 직원이 될 것입니다. 이 그룹은 병원에 입원한 그리고 시설에 있는 모든 환자와 직원들을 보호하고 병원에서 감염이 확산되는 것을 낮추기 위하여 또 시설에서의 그런 전염병 확산을 관리하기 위한 것입니다. 누구든지 질환이 있거나 고령이고 증상이 있다면 테스트를 받을 것을 권장합니다. 이 그룹은 코로나로 사망하거나 심각한 질병에 걸릴 확률이 더 높기 때문입니다. 그리고 코로나 확장자와 밀접한 접촉이 있던 있었던 사람들 중에 증상이 있는 누구나 가능하면 테스트를 받도록 권장하고 있습니다. 감사합니다. Uh, next, Alan Chang from Environmental Health will brief in Mandarin. Thank you. 各位下午好，非常感谢督查委员会主席所列。和督查委员会，非常感谢你们在这个具有挑战性的时刻领导我们抗疫。请允许我为大家更新目前的疫情。很不幸我们又有三十六人因新冠病毒持续生命其中二十五人是六十五岁的长者在这二十五人中有二十二人患有其他疾病
，其中九人年龄在四十一岁到六十五岁之间，在这九人中有六人患有其他疾病，另外还有一人年龄在十八到十四岁之间患也患有其他疾病。长滩市有一人因新冠病毒去世，在这去世的三十六人中有十四人来自护理条件很好的护理中心，这样。我们总共的死亡人数就达到了两千五百六十五人。前线所有的人都为失去了邻居朋友或挚爱的朋友们悲伤，我们这个时候时刻惦记着你们，为你们祈祷。因新冠病毒去世人中有百分之九十四的人都患有其他疾病。我要再次强调，大家待在家里非常重要，请你尽量。居家不要外出，尤其是要避免与他人接触。即使你出现轻微的症状，请立即与你的医生联系。如果你需要找另找医生，请拨打二一一，他们可以帮助你在你附近找到医生。新添病例，今天我们新添一千四百四十五人，这样洛杉矶县新冠病毒病例的总人数就上升到了六万一千零四十五人。这六万一千零四十五人中，包括长滩市的两千一百六十人和帕萨迪纳市的九千六九百六十八人。这中间有四百四十七人来自无家可归归的人，其中两百零一人已经得到了庇护所，并做了适当的隔离，也采取了避免与其他人接触的措施。很不幸，又有两例无家可归的人死于新毒新冠病毒。这样，总共有十三例无家可归的人死于新冠病毒。住院人数，其中有六千八百三十三人因新冠病毒住进医院，并对该病毒进行治疗。这占总测试为阳性的总人数的。百分之十一，测试为阳性的新冠病毒患者住院为一千四百八十八人，在目前，其中百分之二十九的人住在加护病房里，而加护病房中又有百分之二十的人需要使用呼呼吸机。公共机构方面的情况，我们对五百六十四个大型住宅和非住宅机构进行了调查。这些机构中至少有一个已知新冠病毒患者，其中484个仍在调查中， 8 0个已结束调查。这些机构包括疗养院、抚州居住所、避难所、治疗中心、援助居住中心、教管所、工作场所、餐饮或零售地及教育中心。所有机构中确诊病例为 14,519 人，包括居民。九千四百四十九人和员工五千零七十人。很遗憾，机构中机构中我们有一千三百七十九人因新冠病毒去世，而这去世中的百分之八十九人都居住在护理条件比较好的看护中心、监禁场所。监狱有九百五十四人的新冠。病患者，其中七百一十二人为囚犯，两百四十二人为管教人员。州监狱有一百七十八人，其。
，其中一百二十八人为囚犯，五十人为管教人员。联邦监狱有七百五十三人，其中七百三十八人为囚犯，十五人为管教人员。少管所有二十六人，其中十一人为囚犯，十五人为管教人员。我们洛杉矶县公共卫生网页里。专门备有康复专栏，更新这些机构的相关资料，如确诊人数、疑似病例、测试及死亡人数。警局和消防局的资料，洛杉矶警局新增三百零七阳三百零七人阳性患者，三百九十八人正在接受检疫，一千六百一十人已康复。消防。洛杉矶县消防局有515人做了新冠病毒检测，其中31人呈阳性， 1 1人在家隔离， 3人已康复工作， 3人因其他病在家。感谢警长维拉诺瓦和消防局主管欧斯白每天与我们分享这些信息。测试，洛杉矶公共卫生局共总共测收集了67七万一千。以上的测试新冠病毒测试结果，其中百分之八的测试呈阳性。这里再说说护理中心的，我有三点需要对护理中心的资料做更新。首先，我们要更新洛杉矶洛杉矶县对护理中心的新的投入。到昨天为止，我们对两百四十四个护理中心的居民和护理人员进行了全部测试。我们还安排了另外七十一个护理中心的测试计划，这些护理中心包括已有新冠病毒爆发的地方，也包括了尚未爆发的。这是我们公共卫生局、还有卫生署、各山洛杉矶市或其他一些机构我们一起努力的结果。我在这里非常感谢我们的合作伙伴。我们总共测试了一万八千多人，其中百分之九十的人呈阳性，只有百分之十四的人在阳性中患有症状，显示症状。居民或护工的比例是一致的，而具有百分之八十四的阳性患者都没有症状，这个比例比我们之前两星期之前的数据是一致的。我们再谈谈种族、族群或收入相关的资料。我们还在继续收集一些新冠病毒与种族、族裔或收入方面的资料，试图找出是否新冠病毒对不同族裔的影响也不同，如对一种族裔的影响是否大于对另外一种族裔的影响。在新冠病毒趋势的两千三百七十三人中，人种、族裔所占的比例不下，拉丁裔百分之四十一，白人。百分之二十八，亚洲人占百分之十八，非裔占百分之十二，而不到百分之一的是夏威夷或太平岛太平洋岛的原住民，还有百分之一属于其他族裔。如果用每十万人中相对应的数字来比较，我们就可以进行跨不同族裔之间的比较。比较的结果就为我们可以揭示什么样的族裔受了新冠病毒影响要高于其他族裔。的原因，对非一这个比例是每十万人中的三十一人，而对夏威夷和太平洋岛这个数字
这是三十，这一比例比我们以前报道的要低得多，是因为我们把数据重新整理，而按更精确的方式分类。对拉丁裔这个比例是每十万人中二十九人，而对亚裔这个比例是每十万人中二十一个人，对白人这个比例是每十万人中十五人。如果从贫富角度来看这个数据，则较贫困的社区。的死亡率是较富裕社区死亡率的超过四倍，较贫困社区的死亡率是每十万人中的五十一人，而富裕社富裕社区的死亡率为每十万中十三人。我们做了假设，如果每个族裔死亡率降低到最低的死亡率，我们会有多少人死于新冠病毒？这样可以推算出多少人是属于不应该死的。或属于王室的。当我们分析这些数据时，因为白人的死亡率最低，所以我们用白人的这个死亡率做参考。那个这个最低死亡率相比，我们就可以本可以减少七百五十四人死亡，其中拉丁裔四百五十八人，非裔一百二十五人，亚裔一百二十五人。当我们从贫富差距看死亡人数的时候，我们看到我们本可以减少九百八十一人的死亡。这个数字让人非常不安，让人看到不平衡给生或死带来的影响。我们会一如既往的与卫生局和居民合作来消除这种不平衡，包括资源的重新分配。我们已经增进了贫困地区的测试能力。全县现在总共有七十三个新冠的测试点，包括 CBS 医院、地方诊所。大部分地方在感染较重的地方，但仍需要预约，请通过网站 c o v i d 19点 l a county 点 g o v 前华县 testing t e s t i n g。当然，我们聚会后我们要进行测试。我们要强调，大型聚会会增加感染的风险，包括抗议这种聚会。在大型聚会时，如果你与不戴口罩的人在一起超过15分钟，你很有可能就被感染。但是一定要记住，这种病毒的潜伏期非常长，如所以最好将自己隔离14天。大家一定要知道。一定要记住，如果暴露后立即测试，结果可能是呈阴性，因为病毒的数量太低，还不能测试出来。所以我们暴露后测试为阴性，并不能说明你没被感染，因为潜伏期过长，所以建议你隔自我隔离14天。如果你高与高风险的人员人群住在一起，尤其重要的是，你要与他们保持6英尺的最少6英尺的距离。并戴上面罩，不要动手准备食物，不要与他们共用餐具，也不要与他们共用浴巾，增加清洗共用场桌面的次数。如果你在十四天内出现症状，请与医生联系、就医或测试一些事宜。我们测试的重点目前仍然放在带状的。住院病人、医务工作者或急救人员身上
以及爆发地区的居民和员工，无论是带状或隐形的。我们也鼓励任何出现症状的人和有其他疾病的长者进行测试，因为这个群组的人类患患重病并且死亡的风险非常高。不过，如果条件允许，任何出现症状的病患或与带状患者有过亲密接触的人都应当进行测试。This completes the day's conference. Thank you. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov. And follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast.